Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, March 18th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So after telling us that inflation was transitory for nearly a year and then spending several months talking up its plan to take on rising prices, the Federal Reserve finally fired the first shot in the much-anticipated war against inflation. During its FOMC meeting on Wednesday, the central bank raised interest rates by 25 basis points. As far as the balance sheet goes, well, it really didn't tell us anything. Quote, in addition, the committee expects to begin reducing its holdings of treasury securities and agency debt and agency mortgage-backed securities at a coming meeting. I'll translate that Fed speak for you. We might start shrinking the balance sheet someday, but we don't really know when. Now, if you want to stick with the war analogy, this wasn't much of a first strike. It was more like dropping leaflets on the enemy's head saying, we really mean it this time. You know, if inflation is such a problem, and even the people over at the Fed now admit it is, right? Why did they only raise rates a quarter point? What is a quarter point rate hike going to do in the face of 7.9% CPI, which is actually over 15% if you measure it honestly? Now, as you'll recall, there was some speculation that the central bank would lift off with a 50 basis point hike before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, but even that would have been too little too late. During his post-meeting press conference, Powell emphasized that price stability is really important. So riddle me this. If it's so important, why did the Fed wait a year? Wait until CPI got to the highest level in 40 years to actually do something. And when it finally did do something, it didn't really do anything. I mean, if the inflation problem is so urgent, if this is such an issue, why did they wait? And why not really go after inflation? I mean, not, why not lift off with a 2% rate hike? You know the answer to this question. They can't do it. They know it would collapse the economy. They've known this all along. That's why they took the hope and pray inflation will go away approach while telling you that inflation was transitory. They really, really, really didn't want to do this. Now, to be fair, Fed Chair Jerome Powell and his fellow central bankers did take a hawkish tone during this meeting. Those leaflets were strongly worded. The Fed projected six more rate hikes this year. That would put rates at about 2% by the end of the year. If they follow through, and I'm skeptical that they will, it's still too little too late. I keep reminding everybody of this, but I think it's really important to wrap your head around. The Fed, under Paul Volcker, pushed rates to 20% to slay the inflation of the 1970s. As measured in the 70s, we have the same level of inflation today. And we just got a 25 basis point hike. I mean, even if we accept the government 7.9% CPI number, we would need the Fed to push rates to about 13% to do what Volcker did. We're talking about 2%, and not until the end of the year. Jerome Powell is no Paul Volcker. Now, Powell projected firm resolve to stick to the rate hike path. 
I find this questionable. There is nothing in the Fed's DNA to make me think it will keep hiking rates when the market crashes and the economy rolls over. He also insisted the economy is strong enough to handle the rate hikes. Now, keep in mind, this is the same dude who insisted that inflation was transitory. So, eh, not sure we should put a lot of stock in Powell's pronouncements. I mean, he could be right, but he probably isn't. I don't think the Fed can hike to 2% without popping the bubble economy, and I have some recent history to back up this skepticism. We just have to go back to 2018, and I've done this before multiple times on the podcast. This is another thing that I think is really important to wrap our heads around. We need to remember history. We have a tendency to, I said this over and over last week, our, our history time frame for a lot of people seems to go back about three weeks. So it's important to remember what happened a few years ago. So we go back to 2018. The Fed slowly raised rates through that year. It got to 2.5% and then everything went to crap. The stock market crashed. There were recession signals flashing. So what did the Fed do? It went right back to rate cuts and quantitative easing. It never got the balance sheet shrunk. You know, never got to the level of interest rates that anybody thought they would. They abandoned the tightening process as soon as there was sign of shakiness in the economy. Now, today, the bubbles are even bigger. The level of debt is even higher. How will the Fed raise rates substantially in this economic environment? If they couldn't do it in 2018, what makes anybody think they're going to do it in 2022? I mean, honestly, personally, I think they'll be doing good if they even get to 1%. Now, they would probably tell you that it was fine to go back to easy money back in 2019 because, well, there was no inflation. So, you know, okay, maybe they will hold course for a while this time, given the extent of the inflation problem. But my gut is that they will ease off the tightening gas or quit tightening altogether when the bubbles pop. I mean, you know, I said this last week, and uh, credit to one of my listeners for getting the reference, it's the fork they know. So here's the question you really need to ponder. Think about this as you look toward the future of the economy. Do you think the Fed will keep hiking rates if the markets tank and the economy slides toward recession? How you answer that question will really determine your view on the economy going forward. Now, keep in mind that the U.S. economy is a credit bubble. It hinges on the ability of over-leveraged consumers, over-leveraged businesses, and over-leveraged U.S. government to keep on spending borrowed money. As Peter Schiff put it, when you live by low interest rates, you die by high interest rates. Now, today, basically, the economy is high on crack, and the Fed is talking about taking away the crack pipe. Not going to go well, right? The bond market actually seems to be anticipating a recession. We briefly saw an inversion in the yield curve at the uh, high end on Wednesday, but I think the markets are still getting it wrong because they think that a recession will cure inflation. 
Now, in the first place, I don't think they realize how bad the crash would be. And again, I don't think the Fed has the political will to stick to tightening when the economy implodes. It goes against all of their instincts, right? Now, in the long run, it would certainly be better to let a recession play out, no matter how bad it is, to cleanse all of the misallocations and malinvestments that these years of you know, artificially low interest rates and quantitative easing, all of this... This has distorted the economy, so we really need a recession to clean the economy out. But politicians don't do things for the long run. They operate within election cycles. When there is a recession, there will be intense pressure to do something about the recession. And doing something about a recession means more stimulus. It means rate cuts. It means quantitative easing. That means more money printing, and more money printing means more inflation. So I'm skeptical that even the recession will end the inflation problem. I think we are heading towards stagflation. I mean, we're still seeing this buildup in inflationary pressure. We got the producer price uh, index data this past week. It was once again very high. I think it's like 10% uh, year on year, this is price increases coming down the pike. These are prices producers are paying that they're going to have to pass on to their consumers, at least partially, in the future. And again, this PPI did not capture the price increases that resulted from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This is just the old, uh, I, I guess, the old transitory inflation. It's not the new inflation that everybody's going to be able to blame on Russia next month. So, more inflation coming down the pike, a recession as the Fed tries to tighten, that equals stagflation. So, looking at the gold market, uh, gold was rather sanguine about the rate hike. It did sell off a bit early on Wednesday. It hit a low of about 1907, but uh, it actually started rallying later in the day and then rallied again yesterday uh, along with the stock market. We were back around, uh, I think it was about 1930 when I last looked. Um, you know, I think there was a bit of sell the rumor, buy the fact going on in the gold market. Now, uh, that sell-off that I mentioned actually started earlier in the week. After pushing back close to $2,000 an ounce again, it started dropping on Monday. Uh, the anticipation of the rate hike and a little less panic about the situation in Ukraine led to a lot of selling in the precious metals markets. Now, you know, here's the thing. Everybody acts like these six rate hikes this year like that's going to be some kind of nuclear bomb. They think it's going to put an end to inflation, you know, as I've already mentioned. Sure. We might have a little recession, but the inflation dragon is going to be slain. And as I've already explained, I don't think that's the most likely scenario. And it's important to remember that given the current environment, a 2% interest rate isn't negative for gold. Now, if you listen to the mainstream financial media, you would think that any rate hike is negative for gold. You know, whenever interest rates tick up slightly, the mainstream pundits are quick to inform us that rising interest rates increase the opportunity cost of holding gold. This is why we saw another sell-off in gold as everybody geared up for the March FOMC meeting. It's also why we always saw big sell-offs in gold uh, every time we got hot inflation news last year. So 
what's the mainstream thinking here? I've explained this before. We, we really have to focus on real interest rates, and that is not the mainstream thinking. The mainstream thinks that holding gold, well, and, and this is true. I mean, the mainstream doesn't just think this. It's a fact. Holding gold does not generate interest income like bonds or bank accounts. If interest rates rise and you're holding gold, you're foregoing the interest income you could have earned if instead you owned a bond or you put dollars in a money market account. That's why rising interest rates tend to create headwinds for gold. And it's why we saw gold sell off on every bit of high inflation news last year, as I just mentioned. The markets expected the Fed to fight inflation with rate hikes, thus raising the opportunity cost of holding gold. This makes sense on the surface, and, and there's some truth in it. You know, if you have really high interest rates holding gold, that there is that opportunity cost. But if here's the problem with the mainstream analysis. They're not thinking in terms of real interest rates. Consider the 10-year treasury. Currently, the yield is around 2.1%, right? With 7.9% CPI as measured by the government, the real interest rate on the 10-year is actually negative 5.8%. To state the obvious, there's not any opportunity cost in holding gold when real rates are so deeply negative. You are losing real money holding the bonds that aren't yielding enough interest to keep up with the inflation. Now, at some point, the markets are going to figure this out, right? I mean, it might not be until the whole thing starts to get wobbly, but they will figure it out. And at that point, I think you'll see a lot of people running to gold. There was another big story this week that I want to at least touch on before we wrap up the show for the day. Um, maybe I'll get into this more next week if it really plays out, and I will link to an article that gives you more details in the show notes page. But um, last week, I wrote an article with the headline, Is the U.S. Undermining the Dollar's Credibility? And it was basically about how the way the U.S. uses its privilege as the issuer of the reserve currency, uh, how they use that as a weapon, could ultimately undermine faith in the dollar globally and could threaten that position as the reserve currency. Well, you know, this seems to be happening. Saudi Arabia is reportedly considering pricing at least some of its Chinese oil sales in yuan. Now, according to the Wall Street Journal, this move would, quote, dent the U.S. dollar's dominance of the global petroleum market and mark another shift by the world's top crude exporter toward Asia. Now, Saudi Arabia sells a lot of uh, oil to China, and almost all of that is in dollars. The petrodollar, as it's often called, serves as a crucial support for the U.S. dollar in general. A petroyuan would make that support pretty rickety. Now, as you can imagine, U.S. government officials aren't very pleased with this development. A senior U.S. official called the idea of the Saudis selling oil to China in Yuan, quote, highly volatile and aggressive, and, quote, not very likely. Uh, you know, calling the move aggressive seems a little bit ironic given how the U.S. has used the dollar as a weapon for decades, but... Anyway, most people don't seem to think that this is actually going to happen, and it would come with some risk to the Saudis. The Saudi rial is pegged to the dollar, so weakening the dollar could hurt their own currency. Um, Prince Mohammed's aides have reportedly warned him of unpredictable economic damage should the country hastily start selling millions of barrels of oil for yuan. 
But the fact that these talks are going on at all should concern you. The world is losing faith in the dollar. And why shouldn't it? I mean, on top of using the dollar as a foreign policy billy club, the U.S. government keeps devaluing it by printing trillions and trillions of them out of print, uh, out of thin air. So I think at some point the world is going to make uh, some big moves to undermine dollar dominance. I mean, we, we're seeing the groundwork being laid. Even if nothing comes from these talks, they could create a foundation for such a move down the road. If the dollar ever does lose that reserve status, it's going to be pretty ugly. So, you know, this is another reason to own gold. There's no counterparty risk involved. You know, the government can't just print more gold out of, out of thin air. It's got to be mined, and that's a difficult process. Um, so it doesn't devalue as all of these fiat currencies do. So great time to talk to a shift gold precious metals specialist. You can call them at 1-888-GOLD-160. You can email them at info at shiftgold.com. These guys are great. I say that every week, but they really are. Um, and, and they will look at your investment strategy, your goals, your portfolio, and help you figure out how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more information on all of the stories that I've talked about and more and keep up with all of the latest precious metals news over at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast and get it right in your podcaster. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Stitcher. Uh, we're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of this stuff is over on the show notes page. You can email me, mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. Love to hear from you guys. I owe a couple of people emails. I'll try to get to those here in the next few days. Uh, But always love to hear from you guys. And um, really appreciate you listening to the show. Hope you have a fantastic week. And I will talk to you again next Friday.